Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 25. I, as you saw in the bulletin, titled the message tonight, Other Things That Help Improve Our Physical Health. Um, we've been, this is the last message on it, but we've been studying, and there could be others, uh, by the way, if we went in further depth, but we've been studying in relationship to longevity of life and the concept of longevity of life and the concept of living a life that's pleasing to God and is also satisfying uh, in this life. And we've looked at a number of things. I don't want to rehearse at all, but uh, laying that foundation of what we know is true in the scriptures that God is sovereignly watching over each situation, we have progressed to basically come down to this. And that is that if you want a life that, unless God has something different for your life planned, that is basically a normal life in this world, somewhere between the ages of 70 and 90, and or 70 and 99, if you will. And if you want a life that is fruitful and also the least amount of, in a sense, stressful as far as our well-being is, and that we live a good quality life, the way you do that is through obedience to God and his word, and in obedience to God and his word, that we also make wise decisions. And so that's really what it comes down to. And then we've looked at some specifics. I do want to pick it up where I was leaving off last week. There's a little bit of overlap, and then continue with just a few more items tonight to help us to see that our health, we said last week, is affected by the spiritual. And the spiritual not only affects the physical, but when we're down, even physically, as we're praying for people tonight, that can affect your spiritual life as well. They are absolutely connected. And I read tonight verse, or I want to read tonight verse 25 of chapter 12 to start us off, where it says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Because we were talking about this kind of in closing, and I didn't get to the last couple of verses, even though I know you know them. But the importance of our tongue. Our tongue and our words can encourage or it can absolutely crush the spirit of another person. And so the way we use our words and the way we use our tongue, now that sounds pretty simple, and yet in reality it can crush the whole spirit of a person or it can lift the person up so that even physically they are affected by it with the way that we talk. <clears throat> and that the scriptures tell us. It can be like healing. <clears throat> and here it is, it says in verse 25, a good word... When we hear that good word, it makes us glad. Go with me to chapter 15. A couple of overlapping verses from before. But chapter 15, verse 13 first. Verse 13. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face. We saw that last week. And when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. And you can see the connection there, too, as well. The whole concept of cheerfulness and joyfulness versus, really, depression. And when it's down... The spirit it can be broken. And if you look at verse 23, a man has joy in, his, in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. I think that's pretty straightforward to us. We can see it. We can understand it. <clears throat> but words can be very encouraging and cause us to be happy and can cause us, even doctors, as you talk in the medical profession, laughter is very good for the body physically. 
and so is a spoken word. Go with me to chapter 18 of Proverbs, chapter 18. And verse 14, chapter 18, 14. The spirit of a man can endure his sickness. We can, we can get through that. It goes a little bit further now. But as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? And that broken spirit will affect, as we just saw a moment ago, will affect the body. But again, I believe that's dealing with our words. And uh, what can happen is our words can really break someone's spirit. And what that does to them is it's hard to get through that. It can cause a person to get depressed for months. And then physically, they don't want to eat. They don't want to do anything. And it affects them. Chapter 16, verse 24. Chapter 16, close by, verse 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. So again, what I've been trying to point out is the scriptures do deal with the physical. It does deal with health. And it doesn't take the approach that the world does or that we do. And you've heard me say it now and you know it, uh, that I'll say it again. <clears throat> and it's not that we're against dieting or against health food or whatever, but that's all the world looks at. And in reality, when you talk with longevity of life or you talk about a life that is not only fruitful in its life, but a, a, a life that's a quality of life, the scriptures really talk about how we deal with that spiritual aspect. And even in this case, more important, if you will, than taking a pill is what? Pleasant words from somebody else to lift up and, if you will, even heal the bones because it gives that nourishment to the body. Now, because of what I'm going to address in the next area, I want to mention, and I think I mentioned it. I didn't listen to last week's message, but I think I mentioned it quickly in closing. But I want to just talk about words for a moment in relationship to parents. And our words can make and break our children. In fact, I think I quoted the verses without turning to them, but I do want you to turn to two New Testament verses. Ephesians chapter 6, and it'll be very brief. And if I did look at them last week, just excuse that, but we'll be quick. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Our words are to be words of instruction. Our discipline is to be instruction in the things of the Lord, but we are not to provoke our children to anger, and we can get that, with discouraging words, with coming down on them. Colossians chapter 1 is the other one. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Fathers, do not exasperate uh, your children. Why? So that they will lose heart. And we can do that. Our words can be very destructive to our children, parents. And when we're talking about words, we like words of encouragement. That's great. And it's good to encourage adult to adult. But let's also keep in perspective that uh, there's being healthy. If you want healthy children, too, one of the ways... And we're not talking about that you, when your children do something wrong that you don't discipline because you are to correct that. We will see that eventually in the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> but also, 
in the training, we can't always be in such a way that everything they do wrong or every time they make a mistake, that we just absolutely break the spirit of our children so that they are frustrated and can never be satisfied. So our words can go a long way is the point. And that kind of concludes what I was uh, finishing with last week. Now, there are some other things in the book of Proverbs, and I just want to point out a few of them tonight. So let's put the shoe on the other foot. When children, here's the next one, when children obey or make wise decisions, when our children, our children know that we have told them that children in the scriptures are to obey their parents, that lends itself to happy parents. You want your parents to be happy? You want your parents even healthy to have them affected so they're not big grumps with long faces? Then obey or make wise choices. So let's look at a couple of verses on this. He, uh, Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. And verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son, that's wise decision, makes a father glad. It's pretty straightforward. You want to make your dad happy? Make some wise choices. And I'll be a little specific in just a second. But a foolish son is a grief. You see that? And it is. And I'll tell you right now, how many times our parents are just weighed down by decisions that their children make. Why? They're not wise decisions. All of us. I don't honestly think there's any parent, and if there is, I'll tell you this, I haven't met them, starting with myself. Isn't any parent who has not, at some point in time, been discouraged because of decisions their children have made? Or the actions of their children? Or the disobedience of their children? We all go through it. But it can weigh us down, and it can really get us down to the point of total discouragement as parents. And children, I want to encourage you, and there's not a lot of children here tonight, but how we ought to encourage our children to be making wise choices. What do you mean, Pastor Dan? On what you do, where you go, what you watch, what you say. I could even get more specific than that. But I think that's the point. As your parents are trying to train you, and parents, let them make decisions. Don't, that's not helping them to grow when you make all the decisions for them. If you've got someone in your home that's 17 and 18, and you're still making all the decisions for them, something's wrong. You haven't trained them right. They should start making decisions in elementary school. Oh, they're not going to be the same decisions when it comes to driving a car, but hopefully part of your training so that you can be joyous as a parent later has been to help them to make wise decisions in what they eat or where they go or who they choose for, for friends, and we'll talk about that later in Proverbs, and, and decisions like that so that by the time they get to that decision with the car, you can really trust them and have confidence and rejoice over decisions that they make. Um, often you don't feel like listening as children uh, to your parents. But we want them uh, to be glad. We, want, we don't 
I don't know of any children that <clears throat> want their mom or dad to be upset all the time. Uh, quickly, let me hit some verses so we can continue on with that. Proverbs 15, again, let's go there. Verses 20 and 21, because <clears throat> I do want to finish this tonight. 20 and 21. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. And that's by his actions. He's despising his mother. Chapter 23 of Proverbs. It's not just one proverb. Verses 24 and 25. The father of a righteous will glad, greatly rejoice. That is, that greatly rejoicing affects the physical health, the body. That's what we're dealing with. Verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sears a wise son will be glad in him. Verse 25, let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. I would hope as a child you'd want that in your family. Well, how do you do that? By making wise choices and by obeying. Those are the two principles. I'll give you a quick contrast just one tonight, uh, because I do want to deal with a couple other quick areas, but one contrast with children. Go with me to chapter 17 of Proverbs, verses 21 and 22 is the other side. He who sears a fool does so to his sorrow. By the way, there's the connection also to discipline. Sometimes our children are foolish because of what we have done, and it's to our sorrow. And a father of a fool has no joy. That's pretty contrasting, right, that we just saw. Verse 22, a joyful heart, that's good medicine. That's what we just talked about. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. Now that's in connection to verse 21 in this proverb, into verse 21. So we see, again, children obeying and making wise choices is certainly another way. So if you put the two of those together, as parents, I want to encourage you to uplift your children. Yes, continue to discipline them. That's very important. But uplift them, and your words can be an encouragement. And don't grieve your children. Don't frustrate your children. And children, what you want to do with your parents is obey them and make wise choices. You do those two things, and you're going to find in your family that you have basically a pleasant and a happy family. And it, it should be noticeable. Um, it, it should. You should have other people able to look at your family, I really believe this, and say that your family is different from what I'm basically seeing in the world. I did have someone pass a comment one time. Well, I'll be straightforward. It was my now son-in-law. And one of the things as he was dating Aaron, he said he was shocked. He, all he was used to in his family was arguing, everybody yelling, everybody screaming, and nobody was ever happy and the kids weren't happy with the parents, and the parents weren't happy, and that's a reality of part of what was happening. And uh, notice the difference. I was encouraged by that, but it should be true in your family, and, and it'll affect the whole spirit. Next, I want to deal with a few others tonight. Compassion, what can affect, again, physically, compassion or, listen, lack of compassion when people are hurting. When a person is hurting, your compassion for them can lift their spirits or your lack of compassion can crush their spirit. Chapter 25, verse 20. Proverbs 25, 20. <clears throat> 25, 20. 
And if you really want to get the full gist of this, because I'm not going to spend adequate time on it, you really need to go back to verse 18, because 18, 19, and 20 all go together. But I'm going to go right to 20 in dealing with the health issue here. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, I think that gives a pretty good picture, right? Just try 20 below going and taking off. I don't know how these guys are, they're crazy. Whether it be a football game or whatever. You know, they paint themselves up and they're 40 degrees. They think they're a hero because they're turning red, white, and green. But um, I don't know. But the, this, the, the proverb here, that's kind of foolish. All like vinegar on soda, okay? What do you got here? <clears throat> Is he who sings songs to a troubling heart. You may think you're helping somebody. That's not the way to help them. That's not the way to help them. You say, I, I don't understand. I'm trying to be cheery. If somebody is really hurting and they have a troubled heart, probably the best thing you can do is sit and listen. Be there. What can you need? Or what do you need? What can I do for you? Rather than telling them, hey, Romans 8.28. I know you're discouraged. I know you're, you're falling apart, but, you know, all things work together. See you later. That's not compassion. That's really what this is dealing with. I have these verses down, and because I do want to get through this tonight, I'm just going to mention them to you. On your own, you study Job 16.2. You know what he called those that were sitting down talking to him? Anybody know? Miserable counselors. You bunch of miserable counselors. When you sat there and, and just didn't open your mouth, you helped me. As soon as you started talking and blaming me for everything, not knowing what was going on, or trying to explain to me about God in my circumstances, you are a miserable counselor. You made it worse. And also the book of Job says, you know what? Job was right. Because he turns around and says, you men should have shut up. You didn't know what I was doing. You didn't know who I am the way. You made some truthful statements. But you were out of line. And that's the concept of just singing, you know, like you are in a good spirit. And you think that's going to do it? Not under those circumstances. Another application I'd give you. Just for your own reference, is James chapter 2. You can look at that later, verses 15 and 18. Somebody has, you know, a need, and you say, be warmed and filled, I'll pray for you. And that's all you do? When James is very clear in that passage, I believe, that you had the ability to help that person. So what? It was your favorite jacket. Why didn't you give it to them? That was their need. Because it's mine. You didn't help them. I'll pray for you is a good thing. But if you have the ability to meet that need, meet it. Show compassion. That's what will lift up the person. When you show the lack of compassion and walk away from somebody like that, you know what they say? Thanks a lot. Not that they don't want you to pray for them. The Good Samaritan would be a good example, wouldn't it? Luke chapter 10, you can look at that on your own. You're familiar with it. There were those that even walked on the other side when there was a real need, lack of compassion. That really helped the person, right? But with the Good Samaritan, he not only took care of it, but out of his own finances, basically, look, if he has any other needs, took care of it. What lifted up that person even physically? He got the attention, yes, 
but the person met the need. So having compassion or a lack of compassion can affect a person physically and whether they even get out of depression or a physical situation. Let me give you another one. Good news. Who doesn't like to hear good news? Now I can't, I'm sorry, but as a pastor I can't avoid, this is a kind of a stretched application, but I can't avoid it. What better time of year to go out and give the gospel? What good news we have. You know, I appreciated what Ron said tonight. I really did about singing hymns. But you know the other thing I thought of while Ron was talking? How sad it is. How professional, and not all of them, because I don't know their conditions, but many of the professionals that sing these songs do it without any concept of what the words really mean. You and I can rejoice. When I sing a song like Hark the Herald Angels Sing and I talk, sing about the second birth, I might not have the best tenor voice in the world, and I don't, and I might crack here and there, but I know what it means. But there's going to be a lot of people singing that song right now, professionally, a lot better than I am, and they don't know the Savior. We have good news to give them, but good news. In uh, Proverbs 15, let's, well, we're in 25. 25-25, let's do that one first. 25-25. Like cold water on a weary soul to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. And when that report, in fact, it was interesting because uh, this morning there was someone in our church and their, their spouse is out of town. And I said to them this morning, I said, have you had any contact? How's it going? Oh, yeah, great. You know, and I could see, and that person was uplifted. Things are going great. You know, see them in another few days. And, what, and that was just, you could see. Good news from another land. So it's talking about. Go back to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Who doesn't like to get good news? Proverbs 15:30. Bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. You want to get fat? You want to get ready to have a good winter, if you will? <laughs> what does it? Good news. Not a pill. Okay? Not two more Twinkies, because you better hurry up and get them, because there's not going to be any left soon. <laughs> Okay, but you get the point. Good news. And, you know, we like that. But, again, think about it in your home. Think about it with other people. Why do you always have to get... There are some people, I'm sure there's some in your life, and just so you know, I'm not thinking of anyone in this church, but there are some people, I'm spe always specifically thinking of the referee world, honestly, but there's some people specifically, always it's bad news. They haven't got anything good to say. This is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong, that's wrong. And I think I shared with you before, I, I literally, three weeks ago, I don't know, I didn't plan on saying this, but literally three weeks ago was doing an NCAA soccer game. And one of the guys that I was doing the soccer game with was complaining that he wasn't in a better NCAA game. It's a true story. And that's what I said to him. You should just be thankful. You know how, many, how few people are doing these games? And you were awarded this game? And you're complaining? Well, my abilities are better than, oh, man. And what I'm saying, that's why I thought, there are people that will complain and complain, and nothing's good. It's nice to get good news. Be a person that gives good news, that encourages people, that talks to them about that. Another thing, just three more, we'll wrap this up. And there, as I said, there are others in Proverbs, 
probably many that you thought of that I, that I didn't have time to cover. When you can trust, listen, when you can trust a worker or you can trust someone that you give a message to to deliver that for you, when you can trust that, it puts health on the bones, the scriptures say. Let me give you one verse on this one. Go Proverbs 13, Proverbs 13, verse 17. A wicked messenger falls into adversity, but a faithful envo uh, envoy excuse me, brings healing. Well, you say that's not talking about physical healing, Pastor. Oh, you look at the context and you look at the proverb that it's teaching. Sure it does. It uplifts your spirit. When you have someone that you can faithfully count on and they deliver the message as opposed to what? The wicked messenger who falls into all kinds of mischief and doesn't do what you want, sent them to do, and that principle holds through in Proverbs and in the New Testament regarding even employees. When your employer can rely on you, that is health to the company, if you will. Because he knows he can trust you. Or she knows that she can trust you. And that's a good thing. And it's a healthy thing. And it builds up the spirit of a person. And you know in your own life, if you would really get down on a nitty gritty, there are friends that you can trust. There's other friends you won't say, the quote unquote friends, you won't talk to them. Why? You don't have confidence that you can trust that. And, and, and it, when you uh, have done that, you find out that it hasn't worked. The uh, last two quickly that I'll give you is good counsel. Good counsel. Not just getting what you want to hear, but when you get counsel that is good and right. Go with me to Proverbs 27. Look at the comparison here. And again, you could look back to you know, verse 8 and whatever, but I'm going to just jump in on 29, uh, 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And I think you can, you can see that, and you can relate to that. Just take perfume. when you, There's a nice fragrance and so forth. And, you, you know, it's soothing. It's, it, that's what it's dealing with. So, comparison here. So a soul's counsel or a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. It is sweet. When you know that you can go to someone that's going to give you what? Good counsel. They're not just going to tell you what you want, but you can rely. I might not like, but it's sweet because you cherish that because you know the person. And what does it do? It is sweet to you. It affects you. It, it, it even affects you physically. And the last one that I will give you tonight these are just things, other things that can affect our countenance, that can affect our health and well-being, which you've been talking about. And I thought maybe it'd be appropriate to just close with this one uh, for us. And that is, when the righteous prevail, whether they realize it or not, it says that a city rejoices. But basically, when the righteousness is prevailing, it has a soothing effect on all those around us. Go with me to Proverbs 11. <clears throat> I remember when, uh, I'm going to share this, I remember when Saddam Hussein was finally killed, and I remember listening to two different people on messages 
both of who I highly respect. But they both said that there was no basis for rejoicing over that. And immediately what came to my mind was this verse. Proverbs 11, verse 10. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. Now, I don't mean to take that out of context, but the point is you don't rejoice when, a, when someone's going to hell or anything like that. That isn't the point. But when you've got people that are right and righteous and it's going well, the whole city, it says, rejoices over that. Rejoicing is a sign of what? Gladness, happiness, and, and also joyful when the wicked perish. And that is also true for us as we think about it, I think, as believers. I know when we see we have rulers over us that are ruling properly and righteousness seems to be prevailing, you rejoice over that. But you shudder and you cringe when the wicked are leading and when they're no longer leading, there's kind of a sigh of relief and joy. And that's what the scriptures say. All of this to say in the last three weeks what we've been looking at is laying a foundation then two weeks on some practical applications that we find in Proverbs to say this. Even in our physical well-being. Is it affected by the spiritual? Yes. Does the spiritual affect the physical? The physical affect the, the spiritual? The answer is yes. And what is it that's going to produce longevity of your life, in, in your life? I'm not telling you to avoid doctors. I go to doctors. I've been to them recently. I'm not telling you to avoid certain things and be foolish with food. Not at all. No one can fairly say that that's what I've said. But I have tried to show you in scripture that all things are acceptable before God. He knows our life. And really what he's looking for us is not to spend all of our time consumed with something that's just for this world's benefit alone. And all of those things, whether it be exercise, which is a good thing, whether it be watching your diet, which is a good thing, all of that only benefits the physical realm. What's more important and really has, and you, if you will, by scripture, length of life and a heart and a life that is also a high quality life is that which obeys and that which makes wise choices and that's what we ought to pursue. And some of these others are just practical things. Our use of our tongue can help and parenting properly, being a child that walks with the Lord, and those other things that we've talked about. Hopefully that's helpful. We'll be looking at a number of other things within the book of Proverbs that hopefully will help us out in a practical everyday living of our life. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> our Father in God, I thank you again for the word of God. I do want to take a moment to pray for our nation's leaders, our town leaders, our state leaders, and I pray, Father, as you command us in the scriptures, that you would help them to make wise decisions, that you, Father, would help them to see the importance of their role, that you've allowed them to be in this position, and that, Father, they would lead us back toward godliness. We believe, though, the individuals may fail, and we may not like them, that you can work through them. And so we pray to that end. We thank you for the freedoms that we have in this country. We pray that you'd help us as individuals to be people that can be depended upon, to be people that uplift others with our words, to be parents that encourage, to be children who obey and make wise decisions.
And that, Father, we would see that many of these things affect our lives. When we see people who have needs, help us to show compassion. Help us to reach out to them to uplift their spirits, to look for ways to bring good news to people. And certainly that would affect the gospel. Help us to be ready. There are so many people that are searching and don't even know what they're searching for and are depressed and discouraged. And we have the truth. And I pray that you'd help us to share that gospel and good news about Jesus Christ coming to earth, especially this time of year. And that we would see people come to know Christ and watch how even their countenance is affected, how they are rejoicing in how you've worked in their lives. Thank you for this time. We pray you'd give us safety as we travel home and help us to serve you with gladness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.